Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. I would like to welcome everyone listening online. This morning, I'm preaching on the topic of dreaming. Dreaming is to have an aspiration, a vision, a hope, or an ideal. It is a revelation of the future. It is to see beyond now and to dream that tomorrow could be better and that God wants to use you to play a part in that. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, on our screen, it says, Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed, everyone say blessed, is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. The dreaming is this revelation of the future and we need that revelation. Without it, we throw off restraint. Without it, we don't heed wise instruction. Without it, another translation says we perish. I don't want to be a church that's perishing. I want to be a church that dreams, that believes that God isn't done yet and that tomorrow is a brighter day than yesterday. The Bible is filled with dreamers, but none are like Joseph. Joseph's life is just a story of a dreamer. And in Genesis 37 verse 8, uh, we see the beginning. Uh, Joseph has this dream about his brothers bowing down before him. And then he has a dream about his brothers and his father. And they say this to him. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then these brothers go off to tend some sheep and he's sent by his father to help them out. And from a distance, we see in verse 19, them say of Joseph, here comes the dreamer. And then they sell him into slavery as good brothers do when your dream is too big. Prison, accusation, prison, and then he's put into power and the dream is answered. At the beginning of the year, um, if you've still got hope in your life, you set New Year's resolutions. (laughs) If life hasn't beaten it out of you, if you haven't got a string of failed resolutions, you still, at the outset of a year, have some hope left and you maybe set a resolution. Setting resolutions is not a bad thing. Being a dreamer is not a bad thing. Having hope for tomorrow is not a bad thing. Having faith to believe for impossible things, no matter how many times you've failed, is not a bad thing. And Joseph is a great example of dreamers. But the last time I spoke in church was 40 days ago. And I showed you this, that this represented the year that you had spent and this was the days that you had left. We stood 20 days out of the year finishing, believing that God would still keep moving in this moment. And now the opposite is true. You have spent 5% of your year already. It's done. 5% is done. Most of it was holidaying and eating food and trying to lose that ham weight from Christmas Day, but it's spent. But we have something before us. 95% of your year is uncompleted. By God's grace, we'll get all 95%. 
But my hope for us this morning is that we would dream, that we would not think we're just gonna repeat last year that we would maybe have a goal. On our screen, uh, this is a graph of New Year's resolution statistics. There's 45% is people that usually make resolutions. 17% infrequently make them, and 38% absolutely never make resolutions. And over here we see of the people that make resolutions, 8% succeed. 49% infrequently succeed, and 24% say that of their resolutions they make, they never, ever succeed. One of the problems with New Year's resolutions is they are very selfish, They're very egotistical. They're very focused on me and what I want and what I will get. And often the reason why we don't achieve these goals is because maybe our circumstances change and what suits us changes. We were gonna lose weight, but then there was a sale on Devon at Kmart. Kmart, Woolworths. If there's a sale at Devon at Kmart, the Lord is good and he's providing for us Devon in every dark corner of Stockland's Nara. But the goal of a dreamer is not just to have a selfish dream. And most of us fail at our dreams because it starts and finishes in a place of selfishness. But I want us to be known as a church that is okay with the word selflessness. That it would be something that actually defines us individually, that we would be people that have some selflessness, that don't rock up to church and think, how does this suit me? But instead, come to church and give. Because I don't know if you know, but the mission isn't done yet. There's a crucial word that often is missing in goal setting, and it's others. It's selflessness. It's been said of selflessness that selflessness is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's often been said the same of humility. But the truth is it's both. Some of us think too much about ourselves, and we need to take a break from that. But some of us think too highly of ourselves and we enter every conversation being the one that says everything and never listening to anyone else. And you actually need to think less of yourself. You need to be like, I have something to listen right now. I'm not the only voice in the world. I'm gonna let go of my God complex and I'm gonna hear. Oh, to be a church that's selfless. That when every person walks through our doors, that they find that we move towards them and see that their needs are met rather than our own. Philippians 2 verse 4 on the screen says, Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. John 15 verse 12, Jesus speaking, There is, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. My goal this morning, the big idea is this, that we would be selfless dreamers. That we would stop making the common mistakes of dreamers, of goal setters, of resolution makers, that we would start and finish with our eyes fixed on Jesus, loving him with our whole heart and secondly, loving those around us. Let me pray for us this morning and let's get in to this thing. God, we thank you that uh, what hell meant to break us has failed. No matter what 2017 threw at us and 2018 threw at us, that we can stand here now 
on the outset of a new year with 95% of our days ahead of us. We thank you that you haven't brought us this far that we would lose hope. You haven't brought us this far to wish for the good old days. You've brought us this far that we may be dreamers, that we may have vision and faith, that we might hear your word and action it in the darkest places in our city. I thank you that everything the enemy tried failed and we're here, we're still standing. Goliath has not won and will never win. So this morning, God, I pray you help us to dream like never before so that the future of this church and our city and our families will be bright, will be good, will be better than we could even imagine. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Thank you, keyboardists. You may be seated. There's this term that I said last Sunday and I've put on my social media with some polls this week. And the term is too far. Too far people are often the people that against what the social normal is or what's appropriate or what the audience is, they say something or do something that crosses the line. And there's normally two groups of people. There's those that say too far things and do too far things. And then there are those that stop the person and say, wait a second, Joel, too far, relax. And I did this poll on my Instagram account of those that do too far things and those that say. And what I found is it's 50-50. 50% are like, I'm going too far all the time. The other percent are like, hey, that's, that's a bit inappropriate. But the interesting thing, this is a little stat for you. Every pastor, seven of them, that filled out the survey all said they go too far. So I'm in good company. Uh, the too far is this idea of stepping over a boundary. Have you ever um, said the wrong thing before and you've been in this group and they've been like, wait, too far, too far, stop, right, come on, too far. And you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. I probably shouldn't have done that. Maybe you've been in the car before and you've missed the turn and you've just gone too far. You ended up in the wrong place. I remember growing up, my dad was asleep in the passenger seat. My mom was driving back from Sydney and pretty soon we were just minutes away from Canberra. She just missed the turn. And we ended up, and dad woke up, obviously quite excited that now we were in Canberra and three hours away from home rather than the original two hours. But she had gone too far. This morning, I want to talk about dreaming. I want to talk about selflessness. But on every point I do this morning, I'm going to go a little bit too far. I'm going to challenge us and stretch us outside of what might feel comfortable so that a new normal is set in your life and in our life. So, get ready. Because our celebration code number five is we are innovators. You cannot innovate without going too far. There's no amount of technology that advances because everyone's like, I liked it better when I called up someone that patched me in to another person and then I was on the phone for five minutes and it was an event and the phone in our house was a, a location that you geographically went to and you picked it up and you talked on the phone and if the phone broke up, you thought that they died. That's the only reason why. Now, if the phone breaks up, you just, who? The phone call ends accidentally, but you just don't call back. Who are those people? And you're like, finally, the phone call's ended. I can text them later. Okay, those people. If that happened back in the day, they were dead. Like the phone call got through and it cut out. You're like, what's happening? But technology advanced because people keep on taking it a step further than everyone said was possible or said, that's as far as you can go. 
the church does the same thing. The church and the kingdom are taken forward by, the Bible describes them as violent men that take the kingdom by force. They keep on setting a new normal, that push back the darkness, that shout down Goliath, that set new normals, that destroy the works of the enemy. So I wanna give you three enemies to living the selfless dream that God has for you. And as we go through each of them, I'm gonna take a little bit too far to help us leave our past behind and to step into a new future and to, um, to be dreamers. I want of my life, I don't wanna be the brothers in the Joseph story. I wanna be the Joseph. Here comes the dreamer. Here comes the one that God spoke to and it doesn't look great, but uh, it's gonna happen. I wanna be the, the dreamer. And I think us as a church are called to be dreamers too. I wanna give you three enemies to the dream. Are you ready for them, church? First one is this, planning. Ooh, planning isn't evil, but planning isn't fundamentally godly. There's not something of planning that if you sit down and plan and wait with God for 20 years, God's happy with that. It's not there. It's not sit down and write a strategy for the whole months of January and then fail at it in February through to December. There's nothing fundamentally holy or unholy about planning. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says this, In the hearts of humans... In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So there's actually something in us, in our humanity, that wants to make a plan, that wants to try and get us out of how we feel and what our current circumstance is. But planning is great, but ultimately it's God that gives us the steps, that plots the path. And any plan outside of the steps that God has for us will soon fail. <laughs> They'll be a part of the 92% of resolutions. It has to start and finish in the heart of God. Sometimes we allow planning to replace action. Maybe because we don't feel ready. I've been saying to our interns, uh, a few of our interns over kind of this break, when we're cutting up newsletters and when we're doing things and we're working really, really hard, I've said jokingly, but often my jokes are just truth with a smile. I said, imagine if we did all of this, but our church was still empty. <laughs> that actually planning and being busy can actually stop us from taking real action. We can be super busy planning on what one day will happen and one day God will give you that microphone on that stage of 40,000 people. But the truth is you have nothing to say because you're not acting. You have to actually take action. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, these are the things God has prepared for those that love him. You can plan all you want, but, ready? You'll never be ready because this scripture shows us that you are incapable of understanding, of seeing, even imagining what God has for you. So if you think that I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna get out my pros and cons list, I'm gonna get out my yearly calendar, I'm gonna sit down and, and plan and plan and plan, and then once I'm finally ready to do that plan, then I'll step out, then I'll action my dream. You will never be ready. You will never see the whole picture. This journey is not a journey of sight and of planning and of strategy. This journey is a journey of obedience, of faith, of getting outside the boat and then refusing to get back in. 
planning can be an enemy to the dream. Sure, plan, but take action. I spoke at a camp on Monday about getting your hands dirty. The room was 90% church kids, Christian school kids. The youth pastor was telling me afterwards, third generation Christians. And I just was sent in there by God to challenge them, don't have clean hands. Not the scriptural reference of Psalm 24 that says clean hands and pure hearts. Those are the ones that send the mountain. What I mean is, you don't get your hands in the actual work. Instead, you stand back with your theology rather than your testimony. You stand back with your big opinions, your puffed up self-righteousness and lack sitting with someone in their brokenness and being the gospel rather than screaming the gospel. I wanna be a church that gets our hands dirty. Sure, we plan, but our hands show us that we've got a story. I've often found in church that those with the biggest opinions have the cleanest hands. I think we could do this and you oh, that worst, oh, that drummer's too loud. But your hands are so clean. When was the last time you fought for someone? When was the last time your opinion got a reality check? When was the last time you had a testimony? Please, Jesus, let our church have testimonies daily rather than every decade. May the good old days be today. Less planning, more obedience. The Bible is not filled with planners. It's filled with obedient action takers. Can I take it a little bit too far? We're just a bit in the baby pool right now. Can I take it a little bit further? On the screen, it says this, overthinking and overpraying is toxic to a God dream. There isn't a scripture that says, um, overpray, overthink it. Think in your head again and again and again and again and again and again and again, and then one day God will do it in this special magical day. Yes, pray. Yes, push in. Yes, every single day read His Word and study Him and pursue Him and love Him, but do not allow your relationship with God to be the excuse why you don't help anyone else in theirs. Because the commands of love God and love people are joint. It's, it's hand in glove. It's what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Oh, the greatest, love God. Oh yeah, and the second, love people. They, you can't separate them. And overthinking and overpraying can put us in a place where the dream never happens. Imagine if Joseph just sat on his dream and didn't tell anyone. The horrific journey that he had with God wouldn't have started. He never would have ended up in that place of authority with his brothers before him and playing some mind games with him. If you look at the end of Joseph's life of planting cups in bags and sending them back and just making people, it's, it's hilarious. But it wouldn't have started if he just overthink and overplanned. Oh, I'm going to put a strategy. He didn't have a plan or a strategy. He just said, I have a dream, Martin Luther King style. And and then God did what God does. Have a dream, but please don't let overthinking, overpraying, or overplanning stop you. Um, this is my first preaching Bible. Back in the days, we had Bibles. Um, some of you young people don't know that. It's not just an app, there's an actual book. Um, this is my first preaching Bible. It is pretty worked. It's got some patchiness here because back, okay, this is for young people as well. Um, back when you first got a Bible, you used to rough it up heaps. You get like 17 highlighters out and you just highlight every page really quickly. You'd underline things. You'd rip some pages. You'd spill some drink on it. You'd let people know that you'd really been using it. You wore your thumb on the front of it like this. 
If there's wear marks on the outside of your Bible, you should probably open it. Um, so that's this, this, this wear mark here. But on the edge of my Bible, um, I wrote something. It was one of the first things that God uh, ever said to me. And I wrote it on the edge of my Bible. And you might not like it. It says, don't think. Actually, someone um, didn't like it so much that on my journey of the last 15 years, they actually, someone has crossed out the don't and just written think, trying to give me a bit of a hint. Um, But I felt God say to me at the beginning of the journey, you can overthink it, Joel, just don't think. Just hear my voice and just take some action. Don't sit there and think through every single thing. And then when the plan happens, and then it's gonna be perfect. And then I'll step up and I'll say that one word and the whole nation will bow down and be like, Jesus, and Stop it. Is is thinking the enemy of God? No, but overthinking is. It'll kill the dream. God will say something and you just be like, I don't think that can happen. I don't think that can. God, what about this? I don't think this this circumstance looks like, no, no, no. David's not thinking this big, uh, sorry. Yeah, David and Goliath, not thinking this big plan. He's just like, that guy is a dog. Uncircumcised Philistine is his phrasing. And I'm gonna get my sling now and I'm gonna kill him and I'm gonna get the wife out of this. I'm gonna get some money out of this and God's gonna get the glory out of this. Sometimes church, we need to understand that planning isn't the goal, the dream that God has given you and being obedient to it so that when you stand before him, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, not well done, good and thoughtful servant or well done, good strategic planner or good diary or journal writer, goal setter. No, well done, good and faithful servant. Planning is not the goal. The dream is the second enemy to the dream is worry. Proverbs 29 verse 25 is great. It's written thousands of years ago, but it's like it was written today, apart from some of the language choices. It says this uh, on our screen. Proverbs 29, verse 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. You are not built for fear. When a baby is born, um, they have two fears. I can't remember both of them. One of them is loud noises. So even if a baby, the very soon as a baby is born, if you scream in its face, it's gonna react. I think the second one is falling. It's an automatic feeling when you're falling, like, oh oh my gosh. But no baby... um, is afraid of eye contact. No baby is born in this way, like, don't look at me, I have chubby legs. Um, that fear is developed. A baby doesn't come out, a baby isn't born, and so I'm terrified of public speaking right now. I'm not gonna scream. I'm just gonna stay silent right here. Until everyone leaves, I'm gonna gather my thoughts together. I'm gonna get some palm cards. I'm gonna prepare for this thing, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Then I'll say something. Fear is often a learned behavior. I haven't met a baby that's afraid of dogs, but I've met Claudia Seidel who is. You learn things. You have an experience. When I was growing up about 11, I either had a dream or this happened, a cat scratched me on the face. I don't remember if it was a dream or if it actually happened. It's very vivid. I remember it. That's why I don't like cats. I don't care that they're fluffy. I don't care that they're self-righteous. I don't care that they're entitled. I don't care that they're definitely not man or woman's best friend. They're not the things that stop me. I have this idea. It scratched me. Something happened that made me afraid. 
And fear of man is a snare, not a snare drum, as something that stops you and hurts you and breaks you down. The goal is not to worry about others. We can often think in our head, what will they say? No one can add a single day to their life because of worry. I have a quote for you this morning. It's, uh, you worry less about what people think about you when you realize how seldom they think about you. You worry less about what people think about you when you actually realize how seldom they actually think about you. Some of us have got this moment, like in year eight, that we stood up for a debate team and we said something and we wet our pants and we think that everyone thinks it again and again and this moment happened, but no one really thought of it. Again, you made this mistake and you're like, I'm so worried, what's gonna happen next time? And everyone's like, what happened? What was that story? And we can spend our entire life worried about what all of these people in our own head are thinking and saying and praying about us. But truth be told, they're probably not thinking about you as much as you think they are. Because no matter what you think, you're probably not the center of their world. They probably are. Sorry, Jesus probably is. Can we go a little bit too far? If the enemy can keep you fighting the war in your mind, he will win the real war. If you spend every day battling in here and the enemy catches you up in your thinking and you refuse to say things are below the line, I'm not going to think about them. Instead, I'm going to think about higher things. You will find yourself never taking action, never stepping into the dream, and the enemy will win because you're fighting a fight, but probably not the good fight. Should you take control every thought captive and submit it to Jesus? Yes, 100%, all the way. But if you spend your whole life thinking and never taking action, you walk into heaven and if there's a moment, I don't know, the people get to stand up and, and testify to your life and what you did, no one's gonna be standing there being like, they fought for me, they prayed for me. When I was struggling, they were the person that called me. But instead, you're gonna stand there and be like, God, I thought, I took every thought captive, but I never, I never did. So I wanna get to heaven and there'd be people there because of what God did through my life. I wanna be there because someone was down and out in the street and I took a moment and stopped and showed Jesus and met them where they're at. Not overthink and not worry about what they might think or who has a camera and what it's gonna say or, or what's... If the enemy can keep you fighting the war in your mind, he will win the real battle. And our generation has to be so careful because we're all fighting our own heads. <laughs> and people are going to hell. I don't want the fight in my mind to be the excuse for people's eternities. <sighs> uh, I know these are just ideas. It's not reality. There's not some scripture, but if I don't, just the idea 
the people standing before God that I knew and I said nothing to because I was worried about what they might think. <laughs> that they stand before God and like, I didn't, I didn't know. Like, and Ecclesiastes shows us that God places eternity in the heart of every man and that we can see creation. So there's not, so no one has an excuse, but them standing there and me being like, oh, I, I was scared to tell you that Jesus could heal your cancer. So you didn't get that testimony that actually rippled and affect your life and the lives of your family and the generations behind you. Because I was worried about what you might think about me. Oh my gosh, the idea that my fear or my worry would be the reason why someone doesn't get to hear about Jesus is a concern. And it's not a concern that makes me overthink. It's a concern that makes me take action and get my hands dirty. We have um, 12 codes as a church, but uh, in my uh, notes app on my phone, um, I've been writing codes in the midst of leadership meetings, conversations with our pastors for about 12 years. I have approximately 200 different codes that are our church and our DNA. So when we talked about with Pastor Benoit what the codes we're setting, um, we didn't have to think or sit down with God and be like, what are the things? No, what he's been pouring out again and again in the lives of our senior pastors, a lot of our church life, it's so clear these are the things that we are, but there are, I guess, illegal codes. Things that are our DNA, but didn't get it onto the board. And one of those is that we are a church that fights. We fight for people, not against people. That we do not get caught up in our minds. Instead, we take action, obedient action, just like David, just like Joseph. We speak the dream. We take action. Jesus didn't say, let me just plan for a little bit longer. He took action. The greatest love that anyone could show was to lay down his life for us. And it was action. So we're fighters. We want to win the battle in our mind, but we don't want to win it at the expense of eternities. Let's make sure we have skin in the game, that our hands are dirty, and that our lives are filled. On the screen in a moment is going to appear a little graph. Actually, you can throw it up now. These are um, three different areas, seasons in people's lives. Uh, there's pre-responsibility. Before you have real responsibility in life, you have lots of time and lots of energy, but you don't have much money. Stereotypically, this is uni students or young people, but it's not 100% true because I've met rich young people. <laughs> I've met young adults. I've met young adults that look after their finances as well. It's not a stereotypical thing. And, and typically the middle responsibility is the working class. They're the adults. They've now got some energy, they've now got some money, but they find themselves super time poor. They have responsibility. And thirdly, the post-responsibility is often retirement. You've now got all of this money <laughs> and all of this time, but your energy is zapped. These things aren't stereotypical of those demographics in life, but I think those definitions describe it well. Pre-responsibility, responsibility, and post-responsibility, or unemployed, employed, retired. We have to be careful that in our worry that we don't fill our lives with the wrong things. This isn't typical. You're not in one of these categories, and none of these categories have a thing here that says success. You succeed here, you kind of succeed here, you don't succeed here, or you see a lot here, not much here. No matter what has been handed to you, the question is, will you be faithful with it? I am definitely in the middle season. If I was to measure the commodities of my life, the most valuable thing I have is not money. It is my time, 100%. 
I've got a fair bit of energy, but I want to be careful how I use my mental energy, what I let fill my thoughts. But the number one thing is time. Because I know that my time has value. For all of us, your time has value. The time that you give to thoughts rather than actions has value. The time that you pray instead of worry has value. The time that you step out and get that testimony in contrast to repeating an old testimony has value. Let's be the church. No matter what our season holds, we'll be faithful and stop worrying and get in the sweet spot, which is I'll give you my time, God. I'll give you my energy, God. I'll give you my finance, God. I hand it over to you. I'm not going to allow my season to dictate my obedience. This week, I went up and saw the amazing Bill Miller. He gave me some socks that have grip on them, or sorry, I asked for some socks that have grip on them, special hospital socks that you can just like wear in the shower, I guess. And also uh, on the screen, I um, tried out his bed. Um, I wanted to see how comfy it was. It's very comfortable. It's one of those air mattresses that you sit in and it like works out your way. So I said, Bill, come on, get up. Let me try out the mattress for him. He wanted us to show this photo today in the service leading time. I was like, no, thank you, Bill. It's right in the middle of the message. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's a very important moment. But one of the things that I love about the Millers um, is that uh, they have three sons. One of them's wandering around here. One's on holiday mode in Cancun or someone else. And the other one's somewhere around Australia. But the Millers have many sons and daughters. Uh, Pastor and I and myself and Charlie and Alex are thankful because the Millers are a constant encouragement in our life. We are spiritual kids for them. Every chance they get, they're encouraging us, they're laughing us, they're using their time wisely. Even one of the last things that Bill uh, said in our Man of Men breakfast a few months ago was all of the guys there, us older guys are here to help, to support, to encourage you. We've been on the journey. We have wisdom. We have time. We have money. We, we now have some energy and we're going to invest into you. No matter whether you feel like you've got lots of energy, lots of time, or lots of money, or not much of any of those threes, do something. Get to the end of the journey and be spent. Get to the end of this and be like, I did it, God. I was faithful, God. I didn't overplan. I didn't overworry. I took some action. Right in that sweet spot, being using our responsibility well, using our time well. Um, Ryan, can you jump up here for a sec, bro? Um, I got a scripture, but I want you to remember the scripture. Um, for a long time. Can you put this bib on, please, bro? Um, let's show the first part of this scripture. Um, Proverbs 25, verse 27 um, says this, it is not good to eat too much honey. Okay, let's make sure that it's not good to eat too much honey. So, um, uh, Vance, can we open that door, please? Um, this is not good, church. It's not good to eat too much honey. It's not good. For those listening online, I have honey in my hand and Ryan is about to drown in honey. Okay. Let's go over here. It's good. Stand on the tiles. Pastor Benara, I'm looking after the carpet. So scripture, we're applying the scripture right now. This is taking action with the word of God. We're not being listeners. We're being doers of the word. Um, I think your girlfriend should do this. It makes more sense. I don't want to feed you. I don't to, this, is, this is some payback, some payback there. Uh, let's, uh, let's apply the scripture. It is not good to eat too much honey. 
prophesy, guys. Show us what it looks like. There it is. It's not good, church. It's, oh, that's good still. It's still good. It's not good to eat too much. It's not good to eat too much. It's, church, it's not good to eat too much, honey. It's not good to eat too much. Let's give him a hand. Is it good? Is that good? Was it good? Was it good? It was good. Okay, more. We need to let him know that it's not good to eat too much honey. It's not good. This is not good. He's not crying. Maybe he needs a little bit in his eyes. That counts. It's a, yeah, it's good. Fantastic. Let's give Ryan a hand. Let's give Sarah a hand. It is not good to eat too much honey. The verse continues and says this. Nor is it honorable to search out matters that are too deep. The church for the last 30 years has been addicted to the concept of deep. That preaching isn't deep enough. That preacher isn't giving me the meat that I deserve. I can't remember the last time they read from Leviticus or Habakkuk or one or two Maccabees. Not in the Bible, it's in the Apocrypha, don't worry. It's not deep enough. Um, A few pastor comments from that one. Um, if you need to be fed, you're a baby. Uh, so if you think something's not deep enough, learn to feed yourself and you can get into God's word and seek his presence and walk with him every single day. You don't need to be spoon fed by an employed pastor, first of all. But secondly, it is not, huh, it is not good. It is not honorable to search out matters that are too deep. There's some worrying, there's some thinking, there's some overthinking that might seem really righteous, that might seem really Christian, some questions and spending way too much time on them. But the Bible is very clear here. It's not honorable. It's not impressive to get caught up here. It's like having too much honey. The goal is not deep. The goal is obedience. The goal is relationship. The greatest, you ready for this? The greatest thing God is ever going to do is teach you to lay down your life for your friend. That's the big revelation. It's loving someone. It's forgiving someone that hates you. They're the deep things. Not systematic theology and understanding what that rock meant there. And it doesn't matter. It's not honorable. Let's be the type of people Stop worrying and take action. And the last thing this morning is this perfection. As an enemy to your dream, as I get back back up on keys as we finish. One of the challenges to the Christian faith is the question of pain. Why do bad things happen? And every answer that theologians or apologetics come up with is good, but it's, it's not great. When you're going through the hardest time in your life, there's, these answers don't hit it like you want them to. When life is crumbling around you, like, I want God to do something amazing. I want perfection. I want a testimony. The best answer that I can give you is this. When you're going through the hardest things in your life, at the end of it, you can help someone else. You aren't perfect. Your journey hasn't been perfect. Your mistakes, pain, imperfections, and hurt can be the end of you. You can live as a victim. But your mistakes and your pain, your imperfections, your hurt, mixed with a willing, selfless dream, a willing, selfless heart can make you great can be the best things, that you went through things that were horrific, 
that the enemy planned, but God turns them and turns them. And now you can stand with someone on their darkest day with true empathy, with the heart of God. And you can be like, I know what you feel like and I'm here. My hands aren't unworked. I've got stuff under my nails. My knees are calloused. I've, I've worked. If we wait for the perfect moment and the perfect time for you to step out, the moment won't happen. The reason why you have to act is because perfect isn't here. Because not everyone in our city is saved. Not everyone is living in the freedom that God has for them. There is imperfection. That's why we have to do something. If you're waiting for that moment of someone to appear to you, an angel, and say, do this, act this way, and everything to perfectly line up, you will be waiting until the day you die. It is never going to be perfect, church. It's not. But there will always be God's grace. If you wait for perfection to act, the story of your life is going to be pretty small. At the moment, uh, me and a few guys are doing a Bible devotional called the 30-Day Shred. And what it is, it's reading the whole Bible in 30 days. In 2017, I was using the message a lot when I was speaking, so I thought I'd better read the message. Pastor Benara and Pastor James were on holidays, so I just spent most of my hours here just going through the message. I read the message translation in 11 days. It was great. I loved it. But I know that if I read this book, and if this was only filled with people that were waiting for the perfect moment, if this was filled with those that were worrying, if this was filled with those that were planning, I could read this bad boy in 10 minutes. Because it's not filled with that. It's filled with the imperfect moments. It's filled with Jonah being like, I don't want to go there. It's filled with these people that are testimonies of God's grace. People that dreamed and took action and either failed or conquered. That had great victory or great loss and out of their great loss showed great compassion. Someone like Job. Ah, if a gospel was written of your life, would it be an A4 bit of paper? Would it say they planned a bit? Or would it be story after story of the lives impacted of the words spoken of you stepping outside that boat and sinking? And it's a whole chapter. The time Jono sunk. The time he stepped out but worried and the time that taught him what trust looked like and what faith looked like and what it looked like to look at Jesus. Let me take it too far as we finish. If nothing bad happened to you, you wouldn't be very useful for the rest of us. That those that have had an easy life are boring. Have you ever sat with someone before and they've just told you how great everything is and you're just like... <sighs> But when you hear pain, when you hear the fire that they walked through, when you hear that they ended up in the belly of a fish for three days because they lacked their faith, they become useful for you. Because if we're all honest, none of us are perfect, none of us have worked it out. So when people have gone through those things, it gives us hope. Pastor Ben and I said a few weeks ago that one of the first things that happens when we're discouraged is we lose our song. But you know, there's actually a moment that when you're really broken, that when you're really hurting, that you find your song. There's actually a moment that when you hit rock bottom, you're Paul and Silas in that prison and you lift up a song. It happens in slavery. 
slavery throughout history, when they're broken, when they're hurting, when they've got nothing left to give, they sing. It's this moment where you hit rock bottom and you find out who you truly are and what you really believe and then you act and then you speak. Let me take it one step too far. The worst has the potential to make you the best. The imperfections on the journey, your mistakes and your sin and your addiction, plus the grace of Jesus transforming you and turning your mess into a message is the best. You don't need to work a big testimony. When you've failed and when you've stumbled, maybe you don't have a big testimony, but you've sat in church for 10 years and you never led anyone to Jesus. You've got a story to tell. When you step up, when you open your mouth and when you preach light in the darkness, you've still got your worst as well. In conclusion this morning, um, Joseph was this dreamer. God gave him the dream. He believed it. God tested if he believed it. Then he actually trusted it. And then he sees it on the screen. I'm just going to, dreamers push. Dreamers push past uh, the last slide. Yeah, dreamers push past the brothers and what they might say. Dreamers push past the pit, the circumstances that they're thrown in. Dreamers push past the temptation to take second best. Dreamers push past the prison that they're locked in and then they're released and then they're locked back in again. Dreamers push past the earthly power when Joseph is standing at the end and has this option to get his brothers to really pay for it. <laughs> Pushes past that. Dreamers just do what God says. The big idea this morning, again on the screen, was just that we would be selfless dreamers, that we would wait on God, that we would listen, then we would act. We would wait on God, we would listen, and then we would act. We would wait on God, we would listen, and then we would act. That we wouldn't overplan or overworry or wait for perfect, that we would get our hands dirty, that we'd have more testimonies and theory, that we'd have more stories and opinions, that we'd have more Jesus than us. And my hope this week, church, as we leave this place, that you would be a dreamer and that Jesus would be the center of that dream and people would be your heart and your passion and you would fight for them and you wouldn't over plan and over worry and wait for the perfect day that you would realize today is the day of salvation and God wants to use you. Next week, I'm gonna be speaking on the topic of dark thoughts and bright ideas that some of the journey that I've been on and how dark some thoughts have got and then how out of them the greatest parts of my journey have happened. But please spend this week just stopping a little bit and being like, God, what do you want me to do? Then do it. Then God, what do you want me to do? Then do it. Realize that today has a grace. You don't need to wait for 30 years to work out what your grace is. Today has a grace. Action, do something with what's been placed in your hands. Let me ask us to stand together and I wanna pray for us as we finish this morning. Can you just touch someone around you, hand on shoulder or whatever feels socially appropriate if you can. Jesus, we thank you that you have a dream for us, that this actually isn't it. No matter if we're satisfied or unsatisfied, this is not the end of our journey, that we stand with a whole year ahead of us. We stand with giants in front of us that are about to fall. And I pray, God, may we be a church that is selfless dreamers, 
that the future is brighter because we are here, that the city is transformed because we've been planted here by God, that this church would go forward because you've called us here to build and here to speak and here to gather and here to be a house of salvation. We thank you that your grace is on us. And Lord, I just commission us as a church family. I ask that as we leave this place, that we would be more aware that your grace is enough for us. That as we walk back into our workplaces and our families, when things look impossible, that something on the inside of us, bold and courageous, the Spirit of God would take over and perfection worry and planning would take a second seat to obedience to your voice. May we be known as a church of dreamers. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Amen, 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 amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.